can turn this morning to the book of Joel. Yeah? Sure. If you didn't hear her, she was, Shirley was saying she just wanted to testify to God's goodness and talking about how the songs we were singing and how our life is just a vapor and passes so quickly, but our king was concerned about each one of us and died for each one of us, so thank God for his goodness. Again, the book of Joel this morning, the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, we will start in verse 12. says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return, return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and have pity and lead behind a blessing and grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people? Where is their God? Now as we go through this this morning, I want you to first understand I don't ever mean for preaching to be viewed as negative. That is not what I'm going to, that is not my intention today, but we're going to talk about some things, difficult things that we see going on around us. We need to be confronted with the reality of God's judgment, the disaster that follows wickedness, but yet the compassion of God that is always available for humanity as they repent and follow Him. But you see, we can't just ignore that those things exist, though. We can't just ignore that wickedness and destruction and devastation of sin exists. We have to acknowledge that those things exist. We have to acknowledge that those things exist sometimes within God's church. You see, what the point of this passage is that we are going to talk about today is us thinking rightly about the wickedness and destruction that we see and being a people who are mournful over those things. Understanding that in light of the compassion and love of God that is always available for mankind when they turn to Him. I'm going to try to tie that together 
more as we go here, but all of the things that we are discussing, we have to consider it in light of the fact that God is gracious, compassion, compassionate and slow to anger, and he is always giving mankind the opportunity to turn back to him. That's what we see here in the book of Joel. Uh, the first thing that we have to understand again, is that uh, destruction and disaster follows wickedness and rebellion. Uh, The Bible says very clearly that the wages of sin is death, that uh, sin wages war against our soul. There is nothing that we can do that is sinful. There is nothing, when God gives a command and says, here is how you should do this, think of it this way, God has given good things to humanity. The Bible says all good things come from Him. He has given us things not just so that we can know him in terms of following him, but in terms of just he's given us things for humanity to simply enjoy. Now those things point to him, those things direct us to him, but he has given us some things just so that we can enjoy them here on earth. He's given humanity good things. Now the problem comes when mankind takes those sacred things of God meant for the goodness of mankind, he takes those sacred things and makes them profane by using them for himself, by using them for his own purposes, by uh, reducing them from something that comes from a holy God to using his own human imagination or speculation to try to understand what should this be used for or what is the context in which this thing should exist or the enjoyment of this thing. We'll break that down as we go here. But Romans 1, starting in verse... 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That is the first thing that we see in sin or destruction or wickedness comes when humanity suppresses the truth of God that he has revealed to us. God reveals himself, he reveals his principles and his purposes And wickedness comes as man chooses to suppress, actively suppress that which God has revealed about himself or his purposes. Uh, The wrath of God is being revealed against those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So what he is saying is that God, in, in the very, at the very least, to every man, God has revealed himself just simply by what they see in creation. Everything that we see around us in the world testifies to, number one, there being a creator, and then two, the qualities of the creator. That there are things around us that are meant for our goodness. All of these things, God gives us provision from the land. All of these things have been given to humanity for their goodness. At the very least, everyone has some sort of revelation of God. In verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What happens when we begin to ignore the things that God has revealed about himself, we don't glorify him in light of what has been revealed. Our thinking is reduced from the understanding, the wisdom that comes from heaven, from God, and the wisdom that we live based on comes from our own imaginations. 
We are suppressing the truth that transcends this world, the truth that has established this world. Everything that we see in this world is established in the immovable truth of God. And you see, when we don't glorify Him as God, I become futile in my thinking because God no longer exists or He is an idol that I have formed in my own image. And then I am the one who begins to decide what is right and wrong. And how these sacred things that God has given humanity, how those things should be used. We are the ones then who start to decide how things should be. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, uh, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this God gave them over to to shameful lust. And then verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so they could do what ought not to be done. You see, that is what the judgment of God is. Three times in there it says, so God gave them over to themselves. You see, sometimes we think that God is just up in heaven waiting to drop the hammer on everybody that is is turning away from him. That's not how it works. That God's punishment, the way he operates, his... his, uh, the, the compensation for sin ultimately is death, but in this life, his punishment for sin is just go ahead. Go do what you're going to do. Pursue the things that you are thinking on. Pursue the, your own wisdom. That's Go ahead. It's going to end in destruction, but continue on in that way. You see, at some point, the punishment of God is him removing his hand and his wisdom and just letting the people do whatever they would do because they will destroy themselves. God doesn't have to do it. We will destroy ourselves when we suppress the truth of God and our thinking becomes futile. We start imagining who God is and in what morality is and what goodness is and when human life should exist and when it shouldn't, all of these things. We think then that we get to decide what these things are and you see around us now the destruction and the chaos that comes as a result of the futile thinking of man that comes directly from the suppression of truth and revelation of God himself. Everything that we see around us in our culture now, every single bit of it can be traced directly back to suppression of the truth and revelation of God. There is not one thing that is happening in humanity right now that can't be traced back to that specific point. When people begin to suppress the truth of God, their thinking becomes futile. They become fools. And destruction follows. You see this in Joel chapter 1 and 2. In Joel chapter 1 it talks about how there was this great army of locusts that was coming and they were, gonna, they were destroying basically the livelihood of the people. Everything that was good, everything that was living, the armies of locusts were coming and destroying everything in the land. 
They were stealing any life out of the land. Then we see in chapter 2, that God calls his people back together. We see him calling his congregation of people back together for the purpose of mourning over what the destruction that has happened in the land. You see, when all of this stuff happens, when all of the craziness that we see around us, when all of the chaos, when all of the, the, the riots and, and uh, everything that we see around us in life, we'll talk about some of those things more as we go, but the first response of God's people should be to have a heart of mourning. Now, I'm not talking about just getting angry. Because it's easy for us to do that. We just get angry because somebody has a different political position than we do. Now their political position, there are some things in politics that are just wrong. There are some things that are just simply wrong. But it's not helpful for me to just get angry. To just react in anger. I have to have a heart of mourning. And we'll talk about that more as we go. But some of the things, I want to point out some of the things that we are seeing around us, that like locusts, the armies of locusts are going through our country and our churches and our people and stealing every sense of life that exists. It is destroying every, every semblance of life that exists in our country and in our churches and in our people. There's a recent political convention where there's a conference during one of the days online and one of the people, the panelists on the conference identified themselves as a black Vietnamese transgender non-binary gender transcendent mermaid queen king currently living out their ever-evolving truths in North Carolina. Let me read that again, because that's a lot. This is directly, directly from their own, what they wrote about themselves. This is not my interpretation. This is directly what they wrote. A black Vietnamese transgender non-binary gender transcendent mermaid queen king currently living out their ever-evolving truths in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Now, sometimes those things, we hear those things and it gives us a reaction of anger. How could these things happen? And the things that are being pushed on us. What should happen in my heart first is a heart of mourning for that person. God, what, what is going on? How, how has sin so destroyed somebody, but they're that confused? Not, not only are they confused about what gender they are, but they're saying they're a mermaid, queen, king. What does that even mean? Honestly, what, what is happening? What has happened in our culture that we could get to the place where somebody can be that confused? In the destruction that follows in that person's life, suppressing the truth of God and pursuing their futile speculations. 
Our hearts should first and foremost, before anything else, shouldn't be to react in anger or frustration. I understand those things are frustration or frustrating. I understand that. But you see, we have to fight against just reacting in frustration and to react with a heart of mourning over what sin has done in the lives of individuals and our country. Or we see around us today the Supreme Court vacancy and all the arguing about that. The only reason I bring that up is everything that I Almost every single discussion I have heard about that. One of the main reasons people are so upset about it is because they think that the abortion issue is going to be overturned. That is one of the only things that I ever hear when somebody's talking about it. Now, we can be angry over the issue We should be angry over the issue. But we still have to have a heart of mourning over the understanding that people don't understand what life is. We should have mourning in our hearts over the sinfulness of a country that has come to the place where people don't understand what life is. I'm not talking about just just the life of the baby who is aborted. We should have mourning over that. But you see, sometimes we as Christians hammer and hammer on this subject. You know, every person that gets an abortion isn't somebody who does it just because I don't want to deal with it. Sometimes people do it because they have been abused in horrendous ways. I'm not saying that the end result is right. It's not. But what I'm telling you is we should still have a heart of mourning for the person who has been abused to the point where I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to take care of this. I don't know where to go with this. I'm with an abusive person. I don't want to be in that position. I don't think that I'm telling you the end result is okay or justified because of it. It's not. I'm simply saying that we have to have a heart of mourning that goes beyond the simple face value of an issue to understanding that there's a lot more destruction than we see. And I need to have a heart of mourning for the fullness of the issue. There's a lot more that we could go through. I, I, I don't want to get too political today, but we might as well jump in. I, I don't know about you all, but Jamie and I watched the fullness of the, la- of the presidential debate. We should have a heart of mourning. <laughs> over that. We should have a heart of mourning that two men can't be on stage and in some degree honor, honor one another. There should still be some honor in this. And what on earth do we think that is going to happen in a culture where politicians will fight and do things to each other just for spite? It's not, they just want their party to win. They don't care about the actual issue. They just don't want the other party to win. This is the last thing I'll say about politics today. I, th- I think this issue is very, very clearly seen when, I don't know when it was, a month, or go, a month or so ago when Attorney General Barr was giving his testimony in, uh, was it the Senate? Uh, I can't remember. Either way, 
they were, everybody was so up in arms about how they kept interrupting him. And that was terrible. I've seen the other side do the same exact things. I'm not trying to get political with all of this and hammer on specific political things, but what I'm telling you, in all parties, we should have a heart of mourning over what this is becoming. I don't know what we think we're expecting from the people of a country when we see our politicians backstabbing and fighting each other and doing things just for spite. It's inevitably going to trickle down into the people. What I'm saying is the people of God should have a heart of mourning over what is going on around us. These issues are not just limited to our government. The issues and confusion we see around us absolutely exist in our churches. I've, I think I've said before, but uh, there's a very, very popular church group that records music and things, and it's all over the radios and everything. And In one of their books that most people don't realize exists, they said, we are looking into the New Age movement to see if there is anything precious we can extract from the worthless. We should have a heart of mourning that a church could say that. The Bible says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. I don't have to look somewhere else. God has given us everything that is necessary for us to function as an individual and as the church. You see, it goes beyond that. There's a group that they've tried to distance themselves from that is connected to them. Uh, And you see what what they call it. I wrote it down. Um, I don't know what I did with my notes. Hopefully it's still here. They call it destiny cards. They go to these new age places and they're trying to, they say they're trying to win people from win the lost in those places by using some things they're familiar with. So they use what they call destiny cards. They're basically Christian tarot cards. They have some they call, you can buy them on their website. They're called seer cards. Here's how they describe them. Our most deeply intuitive sets 12 in total, using only three cards, clients along with the reader are able to interpret the beautiful photographic images on the front of the card. We use these images to facilitate answers to your important life questions. They have love, love destiny readings. The love cards are so accurate that even if your life circumstances change dramatically, on your return to do them again Year, years later, you will find the results identical, such as their accuracy. Uh, they are able to give profound insight into relationships, career, and your spiritual life. We should have a heart of mourning over those things. I'm not saying this is because of some fringe group. You can find anything on the internet. But this is a group that's directly con- connected to a movement that is all over the radios, Christian radios. It goes beyond the things that we just see as the craziness of Christianity, though. Going beyond the extreme cases, Proverbs 6, starting verse 16, says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. 
Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You see, we are good at hammering and calling out all of the extreme cases we see around us. We're good at calling out all of the things that we see in politics and everything. You see, he says, one of the things that the Lord hates is when somebody stirs up conflict in the body of believers. One of the things the Lord hates is when somebody stirs up conflict or dissension in his body. I say that because I've been around the church my whole life. I've been in ministry for a long time. We should have a heart of mourning over the dissension sometimes that destroys congregations all over this country. There are churches that are destroyed because people can't stand to give up power or their influence or because somebody did something they don't like and they're going to hold a grudge for the next 45 years over it. That sounds foolish to us, but it happens all over this country. The Bible says that God hates when somebody stirs up dissension in his body. We should have a heart of mourning that that goes on all over the place. I guarantee you right now there are churches that are sitting in worship and they can't focus because they know there's some kind of underlying tension. They know this person's upset at this person and all of the things that are going on behind the scenes. They can't worship because of all the dissension that's being stirred up behind the scenes, we should have a heart of mourning over that. What should the response of the church be? In light of all these things, in light of all that we see going on around us, what should our response be? Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. You see, regardless of what is going on, the first response of the church should be to return to God. Because whether we want to admit it or not, there's enough blame to go around in all of this. What everything has become, there's more than enough blame to go around. It's not just the government, it's not just this institution or this one, sometimes it's the church too. At the very least, we need to return to God so we can get focused and figure out how are we going to walk through this and endure it so that people can come out on the other side with their faith. But not only that, how are we going to keep focused so that we can actually be a light to other people to help them to understand all of these things that you see around us, it doesn't have to be this way. The Bible says to honor one another above yourselves, that we would be a people who would show people what it means to live in a community where I actually desire good things to happen to somebody else over me. That when people look on the church, they wouldn't see dissension, but they would see people who, even if we fail in it once in a while, but I'm able to admit, I failed in honoring you, and I want to do better. 
this should be the response of the church, that we would immediately return to the Lord and make sure that we were focused. Return with sincerity. He says, run to God your heart and not just your garments. You see, in that time, there were, uh, they, they would put on sackcloth and things like that when they were in a place of mourning, or they would tear their clothing if they were in a deep state of mourning. But you see, there were people who could do those things so that they could express to everyone else that they were mourning over an issue. But just because they tore their clothing or put on sackcloth didn't mean that their heart was mourning to the point where they were actually to actually interested in reordering their life after the issue at hand. What I mean by that is we can be sad about issues, we can be frustrated, we can be anxious about issues, but too often those issues don't ever point us to the place where we actually order our life after the truth that we know is the remedy to the issue at hand. My mourning doesn't mean anything if my heart is not laid before God that he would be able to change me to reflect his interests, desires, and purposes in everything that is going on around us in our culture right now. Rend to me your heart and not your garments. First Samuel 15.22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Psalm 51, starting verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, what God desires of his people when we see everything that's going on around us, his desire is that we would return to him, fixing our eyes on him, and that we wouldn't just rend to him our emotions and our frustrations. But God, I'm giving you my heart that you would align my heart with your purposes in this situation. I don't like what's going on in politics, but God, will you give me your heart for this situation. You see, this is what we should be seeking in everything. Everything that we encounter as Christians is not my thoughts on the issue, but God's. Just for instance, in Romans 12, it says uh, somewhere around verse 12 or uh, 13 or somewhere, uh, it says that we should despise what is evil and cling to what is good. You see, that what that means is not that I should decide what I think is evil, and despise that. But I'm asking God, you show me what is evil. You are the one. You show me what you think is evil. Then I will align myself with that. And I will stay clear of it. It's the same concept with everything else that we do as Christians. We can be upset about politics and uh, uh, abortion issues and homosexuality and any kind of those issues and they are wrong in themselves. But you see, I still have to have a heart that mourns after issues, and that means that I am taking on the very desires and purposes and intentions of God so that I might understand how to respond to situations 
The Bible says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, that I would respond with the wisdom of God in situations and not out of my own frustration and anger. That I would respond out of a heart that truly mourns for people that are pursuing wicked things. That I would respond out of a heart that mourns for people who are actively suppressing the truth of God. What you see here is the positive thing in all of the negative that we see around us. In the divine pity and compassion of God, I'm almost done. The divine pity and compassion of God. In destruction, even in His judgment, there is always a call to repentance. There is always an invitation. There is always an invitation to peace and fellowship. In destruction, there is always a call to turn. And what that means is that God is saying, when you turn, I will accept you. When you turn, you can find peace with me. You don't have to continue in the futility of thought and the the speculations of man that only lead to destruction. You don't have to continue in that. If you would just turn, I would receive you fully. And you can have a seat at my table and find nourishment and renewal and refreshment that comes from being in my presence. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord, do not make your inheritance an object of scorn. Why should we say among the people, where is their God? You see in destruction or disaster, when we see the locusts, around us, devouring any sense of life, the response of God's people should be to fully devote their attention and effort to seeking Him and His purposes and His wisdom and His renewal, His strength, that we would respond out of His wisdom and not our own. The worship team is going to come up as we begin to close this morning. Who are those should, that should mourn and repent? It says, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber, meaning everyone. I don't care how young or old you are. Every single person, regardless of age or your position in the church, every single person in the midst of the chaos is called to return to the Lord and devote themselves to Him, mournful over the situations we see around us in seeking His wisdom on all of these matters. In all of this, the overwhelming mercy of God invites you and I back to the right path. If we go on to Joel chapter 2, this is the last thing I'll say. Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 18, it says, Then the Lord was jealous for His land. After his people were mournful and seeking him, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. 
The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I have sent among you. You, have plenty, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. You see, it is easy for us to be overwhelmed. It's easy for us to be overwhelmed at everything that's going on. What this means for us simply in all of the things that we see around us, all of the chaos of life right now means his church, his people, We better make it a focus to seek Him. To have mournful hearts over the things, not to react out of our frustration, but to react out of heart of mourning for what sin does in mankind. And as we do this, whether it's in me individually in a church that seeks Him or in our nation as a whole, the Bible says that God will bring healing. He will bring fullness of life where the locusts have destroyed every sense of life. He will bring new life. How amazing is that? That the God who should have nothing to do with us. By every account, he should wipe humanity off the face of the earth because of their sinfulness. But the God of heaven sees, since the beginning of the word of God, over and over, he sees man pursuing him and then rebelling and then pursuing him and rebelling and then pursuing him and rebelling. He's seen that in some of our own lives. He's seen us accept salvation and then we begin to pursue other things and he receives us back. Over and over, the God of heaven has put up with humanity in their foolishness in their suppression of truth that leads to destruction. But over and over he has said, if you will just turn, I will bring healing. I will bring life and restore all that the locusts have eaten. Now, I don't know what that means for you today. Maybe that simply means that we need to get refocused. That might mean for an individual that you in your own personal life, the locusts have destroyed every sense of life within you. God can bring renewal and refreshment and new life if you would just turn, pursue him. God, we thank you today. Thank you today that though we see chaos around us and how overwhelming that can be. How it just drains us emotionally sometimes, even to just see what's happening in our government around us. It is draining. But Father, we thank you for your merciful promises that if we return to you, we turn our eyes to you, fix our attention on you that you will restore what the locusts have eaten, that you will bring new life. Father, this isn't the story of all the things that are going on in the world, all the, all the negative things that are going on in the world, but this is a story of your forgiveness and mercy in light of the futile speculations of mankind. Draw our attention back to you. 
Father, give us a heart of mourning over the things that are going on around us. So we know that your word says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So Father, we know that as we take on your heart of mourning for the things around us, that you also provide for us a comfort that transcends anything that we can imagine in this world. The abiding presence of your spirit bringing us comfort in the midst of mourning. Father, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.